Well, hey, Firecracker Department members, I have some great news. You know, Firecracker Department's been around for about a year now, and uh, we have a sponsorship. How cool is that? Front Row Insurance Brokers is the largest Canadian-owned brokerage specializing in arts and entertainment insurance and also specializing in supporting the Firecracker Department. I am thrilled. They provide global coverage for the film, TV, theater, and music industries and their service providers. So really, they just do everything. Their personalized expert advice for all production-related insurance is available throughout the United States and Canada and EU. That means Europe. While low-cost online options are also available for short shoots, photographers, and musicians. So basically, go to frontrowinsurance.com for all your insurance needs, and they'll hook you up. It sounds like they do everything. I like that about insurance. Somebody that can just do everything. Passionate about the arts, better at insurance. That's a pretty good catchphrase. Hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers, and welcome to the Firecracker Department. This is the podcast where each episode I talk to dynamic, interesting, inspiring women in the entertainment industry, and we talk about their victories, their challenges, lessons that they've learned along the way in their career and in their life. We have these really great, candid discussions about what it's taken them to get to where they are, and it's kind of one of my favorite things to do. This episode, we are talking to, again, one of my favorite people, Rebecca Kohler. Now, if you don't know Rebecca Kohler, you have to go online right now and go check out her stand-up because she is so funny and so ballsy and I just... She's just the best. Now, we talk about this in the interview, but she's been writing a lot for TV. So she was uh, writing for Working Moms on CBC and Kim's Convenience on CBC and also Schitt's Creek. And now, since we had this interview, she's just been hired to write on a show called Happy Together. And this is a show starring Damon Wayans Jr. And so she's writing on that. CBS. How's that? So we had a great chat. Now, I know um, Rebecca from the comedy community in Toronto, uh, and I've just always admired her stand-up because she's just so bold. And um, I don't know about you, who folks that are listening, have you ever tried stand-up? Is that something that you find makes you want to throw up in your mouth a little bit? I get it, because my background is mostly in acting and in improv, and then... When I first started doing Mr. D on CBC, I thought, well, maybe I'll do some stand-up because we're we shoot in Halifax, and that might be a fun thing to do while I'm not shooting. So I did a couple of nights over at the Yuck Yucks in the Halifax region, and uh, it was really fun, but really, um, I really lonely. <laughs> I found it kind of lonely because, I mean, in improv. You know, I've done one-person improv before, but rarely. Usually with improv, you're having at least one person to share the stage with you. And in stand-up, you kind of put these jokes together, and you know the arc of your set, and then you go in there, and you do the set, and then you walk home by yourself. I don't know. I found it really lonely. So it didn't really appeal to me. Um, the other thing with improv is that if you forget... I mean, in improv, you can't forget your lines because you don't have any lines. But with stand-up, if you forget one of your jokes, I mean, God, that makes my tummy turn into knots. 
Um, Rebecca and I talk about this in the interview a little bit because she, in one of the YouTube uh, clips that I saw of her, she forgets one of her jokes. And because she's such a pro, she just just rides over it like, ah, oh, it's just a joke. And I'm just gonna, it's, it's just her creating. And as she says when we were talking, she does a lot of um, stand-up on the fly. Like she knows a little bit about bits, but she writes a lot um, on her feet, which I really admire. Uh, so, I mean, stand-up for me is something that definitely scares me. Maybe one day I'll try it again. But here's the other thing that has to happen with stand-up. You have to go out so late. Oh, so late. You start, I mean, the stand-up shows usually start around eight. You get out of there at 10 or 11, maybe even one or two. I mean, that's the time you have to put in to doing that kind of career. And I admire, oh my God, I admire people who do stand-up so much. Um, but it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's for me. Unless I did like two-hander stand-up. Sometimes Matt and I, my husband Matt, who also is my uh, creative partner, sounds so official, um, we sometimes talk about maybe doing like two-handed stand-up, and that might be kind of fun. Uh, yeah, so I had a, such a great conversation with Rebecca, and you know, we talked a little bit about what it's like to be in writer rooms and um, the dynamics and that, because I find that really interesting too. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but listen up and then you will be. Uh, every month we do a thing called the spark question. And so I pose a question to the firecracker department community and um, we get feedback and then I, I compile all the feedback and we talk about it uh, live on my Instagram account. And so last month we were talking about how do you get started in with a creative project. And um, that to me, like collaboration is key for me. Collaboration is the uh, reason why I think I do everything in this industry and in life. Like whether it's collaborating with one other person to create something, which I find so rewarding, or whether it's collaborating with an audience in the moment to have some jokes and share an experience. I love all that stuff. So uh, the spark question being, um, how do you get started? A lot of people just came back with, start with getting a collaborator, somebody that you're on the same page with, somebody that you share similar ideas with, similar jokes with, somebody who you watch similar TV shows with, because that's really key. I almost started working with somebody once, and uh, they said to me, you know, we want this TV show to be really funny, like Murder, She Wrote. Hey, I've got nothing against Angela Lansbury. I'm a big fan. But Murder, She Wrote was not one of the funniest shows I can think of, for sure. So that definitely made me go, ah, we might have different ideas of what's funny. So um, Rebecca and I talk a lot about writer's rooms. And because I'm writing right now, I'm writing a TV show that I have in development, it's um, it's very prevalent to like think about how to build your writer's room. Like, who do you want on your team? I think that goes with life too, right? Like, who do you want on your life team do you want that person that makes you feel like crap every time you see them? Or do you want that person that makes you feel energetic and like anything's possible? I know what I'm going to answer. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, while I have you in your ear holes, let me give a little shout out to something I don't do enough. To um, a little thank you to Grayson Matthews and Sebastian who do all our editing. And I know they put in extra hours for us and I so appreciate it. And then also Caitlin, Jen, Sylvia. Uh, now we've also got um, Laura and Isabella who are on the firecracker department team. And these are people that just help put it all together and we couldn't do it without them. So thanks everybody. All right, 
Let's get started with this interview again. It's hard to stop talking after an hour. I try, but she's so interesting. Blame Rebecca. Just blame Rebecca, okay? Here she is, Rebecca Kohler. I'm driving, I'll have a white wine. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Love it. So, what's happening around here? Well, let's see. Let's see. This popcorn is so strange. What? It's tiny. Yeah! <laughs> I thought you had done something. Um, it's tiny rosemary popcorn. But how do they make it so small? I only eat the best popcorn, obviously. You know me. Of course. Quality of life. Somebody bought it for me. I have no idea. It's so cute. It's so tiny. I just didn't know that popcorn could be small. I am so happy to spend time oh. with you. Oh, you too. And that I'm so happy that you can do this as well. Oh, thank you. Oh, what a treat. Um, and this doesn't mean this is off off limits. It's all on limits. Oh, I love these gummies. Oh, this is dangerous. Dangerous. Right? I'm just going to put the timer on. Okay. Because How long I, do we do it? We talk for like an hour, but to be honest, okay. it's our deal. We can, it's our world, right? We can okay. do whatever the heck we want to. The other thing is, um, we always throw these to you before we put it out into the world. Oh, okay. So that if you, if something, I don't know, if something comes up and you're like, I'd prefer we don't, yeah. like I'd rather edit it later than in the room. Sure. Unless something happens that you're like, I don't want to talk about that. No, 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 I understand. Pause or something. Okay. But the idea is like, you should have the last say in okay. this. I don't ever, don't, I hate that so much when I've done podcasts or I've done like interviews and then I said something or mm. I said somebody's name and I'm like, oh. anyway, so it's all I once you. revealed in a podcast that I'd been fingered on a dance floor when I was 19 and right. I was like, oh. And yet, that sounds like the beginning of a joke for you. Ah, uh, I guess. <laughs> but but I, I, yeah, yeah. I've been watching. Um, I think it's all in the context of how it comes out, and it came out, and I was like, I don't want that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like you want to be in control of mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, but I've been watching so much of your stand-up lately. Oh. In preparation. For oh. This. And I don't know. I remember. I don't even know where we met originally. Me neither. But I feel like I've known you forever. Like I know. You've always been in my yeah. community. But I do remember going to the Reveille and seeing you. Okay. And going like, who is that woman? <laughs> because you were so ballsy and so like <laughs> confident. Um, all right. So you look so like self-assured. Mm-hmm. And I saw, like I saw something from, like how long have you been doing this? 18 years? Yeah. It yeah. feels like you were a baby when mm-hmm. you started. Because there's something, and you didn't have bangs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
That sounds like Rebecca, but you just look like a whole other woman now. Because I'm so much older. I mean, aren't we all? Yeah, That's going to happen. Yes, it's true. Um, no, you just look real. <clears throat> I mean, you still have that bul- that ballsiness, though. Mm. You still have that level of, like, just confidence on stage. No, and I've heard that before, and it is always funny to me because I am a neurotic. And I'm constantly... and. I still get it, um, but for the first 10 years that I did stand-up, I was constantly, I would literally be thinking while I was speaking on stage, why do you write, why do you write jokes like this? Why do you do this? People are going to hate you. You're disgusting. That's awful. I know. And you hide it really well. I know. It's really weird. And I think it showed. Like, I, I'm like, oh, they can tell. But then people are always like, I couldn't tell. Never. You. No. You just look so... Even there was an episode, there was one of the um, clips from um, a serious FM. Uh huh. And you, I, I mean, I hate to kind of bring it up because you lose your place, which isn't something to be. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you do it with such grace and confidence that. Did you win that year? I was, I like went to the next round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, it wouldn't surprise me if you won. Yeah. And, and I went first in that show. Yeah, you said that too. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. I love going first. Yeah. But you do it with such confidence. There's a level of like the audience going, we're fucking with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to own it, oh, right? I love that when comedians, like, either they mess up or they a joke doesn't land, and then they go, didn't like that one. Yeah, yeah. Which I really appreciate. You ha- oh, my God. I feel like you have to acknowledge those things. Because pretending, and, like, blanking, I don't know, you're an improviser uh, yeah. and sketch. Like, mostly yeah. improv? Uh, mostly both. improv. Both? Yeah. Okay, right. Uh, uh, Rufus, right? But, okay, like, so, um, <laughs> but, yeah, blanking? Yeah. Nightmare. But in improv, I'll just go, I don't know what to say. Right. And then it's okay. Well, no, and with the stand-up, there is that kind of, like, charade of, like, I know exactly what I, you know, like, and then, and that was an interesting show, the SiriusXM show, because I was also in a dark depression. Oh, my God. Because I quit smoking. And for anyone listening who's quit smoking, or did you ever smoke? No. I was a heavy tried. smoker. I tried really hard. You tried to smoke? And then I was like, oh, it's too expensive, and I haven't got the time. And it's gross, to it. and yeah, and I could die. Um, yes, that too. So many problems with smoking. Yeah. But I loved it, yeah. and I still do, uh, but I don't smoke right now. How long ago did you quit? Like three years. It's like three years right around You look now. entirely different. Oh, thank you. You do. Like, remember I said to you when we saw each other the other day? Oh, yeah. And I was like, did you quit smoking? I didn't even know that you had. But your face looks different. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, that's like, good. You just look like you have... You Brighter have, skin. Yeah. yeah, I know. It does a weird thing. It sullens, your, like, grays you. Yeah. But, um... Because how long did you smoke for? Oh, 20 years. Oh. Like, I was a smoker. And You're I smoked a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, um... But so, but they... I've heard people say that smoking is like the poor man's Prozac. Okay. Um... And like, it's totally, it's a, it's a a coping mechanism, you know? And for me, it was like, I'm depressed, I'll smoke. I'm excited, I'll smoke. I'm happy, I'll smoke. I'm sad, I'll smoke. Um, And it kind of, you're able to bury feelings or anyway. Mm -hmm. So I quit smoking. I was waiting to hear about my green card interview. I, I was just not, I hadn't written new material in ages. I had this competition. I wrote most of the material in that show, like the day of. Oh, um, which I've never done before. And so when when I blanked on stage, it was like, oh, come on! <laughs> and I was like, I had no patience. It's like how some of my best shows I've done when I, I've been sick. Yeah. Because you're too exhausted to be neurotic. Right. So you're just like, oh! So I lost my place, and I was like, oh, great. 
Um, what you do you ask the audience? You're like, where was I? And somebody <laughs> said, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to win the competition. Just tell me so I can get this joke out. It was very yeah. truthful, though. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think I was like at my limit. So that's why I handled it so well. So, but looking back to, mm-hmm. like, how did you get that kind of confidence? Did you always have that? It's a good question. And Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> excellent. This is an excellent podcast already. So far. It's been um, five minutes. Uh, I, I think I always had that kind of persona. Like, even when I look back, I started in Montreal. Yeah. And, I don't know, a few years ago, I was going through some old VHS tapes. Okay. And I found some uh, old sets. And, yeah, I always had that. You know, this is how I talk. And right. I've always been a caricature of myself on stage. So... Um, I don't think I've ever been a mousy comic. No. Um, no, but like the, the, even the stature, like, like I shake when I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, so do I. Do you shake um, when you're a, on stage? There's a chance that I was shaking in that show, but it's, it's, um, it's an intense shake. You know what I mean? Like it's. The it's contained shake? Yeah. Yeah. Almost like as if it's, it's almost, it feels like rage, but it's, it's nerves. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so yeah, I, I yeah, I, I'm very nervous often. And so when you first started eighteen years mm-hmm. ago, did you did you just make a choice like I'm just gonna not be nervous or like who what oh. gave you that confidence? Is that just a gene? To do stand up? But to remember be confident. I am nervous though. But you don't show it. How do you oh is that just like is, are your parents both like that? Do they hide their nervousness from um, you? Um I would say my mother probably doesn't um my dad used to be a diplomat so right. there was a lot of like dealing with people and presenting right so in a way i'm making a presentation that's true um and so i think you're lecturing uh, yeah. yeah no actually nick flanagan once said that my uh comedian nick flanagan of toronto <laughs> you don't have to put your um, hand up to the your mouth to say it. well you never know just yeah. so for clarity um <laughs> But uh, he once said that my jokes are like essays that I'm proving. It does feel like you have a very strong, like you launch with a strong point of view. Yeah. It doesn't go like, you know one of those comics that meander? Like, what are you guys up to? Oh, God, I can't stand that. (laughs) Right. Do you have a joke or not? 18 years ago, (laughs) was there any moment, because this is what I always think with stand-ups, where you were like, I'm never doing this again. Oh, good question. Also, uh, I mean, there was a period, I remember I did it a few times, and then something happened, and I I didn't, I took like a few months off. So I was brand new, and then I stopped doing it. In Montreal? Like, yeah. And not in French? Like, did never. You, do you speak French? Oui. But, but you never did stand up in French? No. I, I tried once. And by the way, I'm like bilingual, but I, I make so many mistakes, it would be a grammatical nightmare. But I did try once to translate a couple of my jokes, and I was just culturally, it's so different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, I don't have a master enough. Of, I can't master the language well enough to like do play on words. Yeah, or, it's so a whole other world. It's a whole yeah. other thing. But no, so only in English. Um, so I did take this break, and I think it was almost a crisis of confidence and a crisis of identity. Like I think I had started dating a guy, and I think he was only faux supportive. Of me as a stand-up. And there is a lot. um, I've talked to a lot of female comedians about this. but And some it doesn't bother. And others it does. That being funny, especially at the time I was being funny, was not what a girlfriend did. Right. Um, It's status. 
Yes. I think being funny is high status. It's super high status. Because I know when I've been in a room full of really like high status gentlemen mm-hmm. and I crack a joke, I'm like, I own this room. And they oh, yeah. can't because they're, they don't, they're not they can't do it. They're just not, that's not I their know. muscle. Yeah. Like if they had to do a PowerPoint presentation, I'd be like, oh, you yeah, own the room. Totally. But, or like put some stocks in a yeah. thing. The room is yours, <laughs> sir. The room is yours. Happily. <laughs> put some stocks in a thing. Um, so you never, you took some time off when you were sort of challenged. Your confidence was challenged because of the support around Something you. Something was going on. Yeah. And then I, and then I, I went back and then it was no looking back after right. that. Yeah. Um, and I think I felt guilty when I, I started, I did it like five or six times and then I stopped for six months and I felt gross. Like I was like, you, you did this yeah. thing that you had been wanting to do your whole life. You seem to be okay at it and now you're not doing it. What's your problem? And did you boil it down to finding out why you stopped? I'd never thought about it really until now, I don't think. So thank you. Oh, I don't know. Thank you? No, Question yeah. mark? Yeah. That's so good. why do you think you stopped for those that time? Uh, I think, you know, and also, yeah, I think it was a lack of confidence, lack of, uh, like, I don't want to say lack of support. Most people were supportive, but in a kind of good for you like pat on the back or pat on the head that sounds like a nice hobby mm. where I think deep down I knew this, this, this isn't supposed to be a hobby mm-hmm. and I think I, I was kind of like who do I think I am actually trying actually thinking I could be a comedian right who are like who who do you think you are it was such a but where does that come from? I think I that it. probably comes from my upbringing. It just in terms of uh, we we weren't like a make a make a fuss, right? Uh, don't be flashy. Like, yeah. Um. So don't be. It almost felt ostentatious, maybe. Well, you are looking going. Look at me. Exactly. I got something to say. Yeah. Which yeah. is not something. But no. your dad's a diplomat, so he also is saying, look at me, it's just not the same laughs. He, it's in a different way. And, like, I remember, uh, uh, if my parents are listening to this, Mommy, I love you. Um, <laughs> what did your mom do? Uh, she does a few things. She was a stay-at-home mom for a lot of my growing up, which I feel very lucky about. Yeah. Um, and she's also a gemologist, oh. uh, so she can appraise gems. And uh, and she was a secretary, and, and she she met my dad uh, at the Canadian consulate in Sydney, Australia. She's Australian. Oh. She was a secretary at the consulate. Yes. Um, so she does a lot of stuff, but... Uh, but I remember being at, this is kind of, it sounds disconnected, but I think it's part of it. We went to, when I was a kid, we went to my brother's friend's house, my mom, my brother and I, and my brother was playing with his friend and my mom and I were talking to his mom in the kitchen and she had a tab soda. Okay. Um, if anyone remembers I mean, tabs. yes. Okay. Yes. Some people the don't. fancy people had tabs in my yeah, neighborhood. Me yeah, me too. And, and I think she even had bendy straws. And these were oh, two things that goodness. to me were like, wow. Yeah. And I think I asked. I, I couldn't resist. And I said, may I please have one of those, you know, tab? And my mother said, Rebecca, <laughs> you know, what are you doing asking for a drink? Right. You know, uh, wait until you're offered. Right. And... Not that doing stand-up is... But there's a similar kind of... Uh, it's... 
it's kind of showing like, I think I'm worthy of a tab. Yeah. I think I'm worthy of your attention. Yeah. So it's something in there. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, you're not alone with that kind of complication no. for sure. No. And, and uh, but I'll just say, my parents raised me to be very polite uh, and uh, empathetic and thoughtful. So in a way, I'm glad that my mother uh, scolded me in that moment. Um, yeah, it is a weird thing. And I, and I know what you, like, it's such a strange thing also because that's still, that feeling is still within us. Yes, right? so yeah. Like, what do, who do I think I am? Mm-hmm. And yet the dream of having that kind of attention and power is overbearing yeah. that other part of the, the, the fear or whatever yeah. the other fear is that it's been how do you balance that like how do you balance the getting attention that you were looking for uh-huh. and then like oh I got attention um well I've shifted how I view doing stand up so I think I used to you know cause there's the kind of um is it a trope or like um there's a gen- uh, uh, a stereotype or whatever that Uh, I read it in the New Yorker once. I think Stephen Fry said it. That comedians are trying, or performers are, deep down, they're seeking approval from their parents. So when an audience laughs, they're like, yes, people love me. I'm loved. Um, And I think there's definitely truth to that. I also think men and women get into comedy specifically for very different reasons. But uh, anyway. Um, Why did you get into comedy? I do love making people laugh. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, very plain and simple. No, uh, it's the best. It, yeah. It feels it's like a, you're doing a magic superpower trick. superpower yeah. to have. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I love making people laugh, but then I realize, so this is where the shift comes. And I, you know, so I think, I, I used to think, I love making people laugh. And yes, maybe I enjoy the attention. Yeah. You, you do a, a killer stand-up set. It is the best feeling. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. But I realized a few years ago, I think that, it wasn't just attention, it's connection. Mm-hmm. So when yes. I make people laugh, it means they're we're like, together. I get it. I get it. We're, yeah, we're in this together. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. And they don't feel alone. Yeah. So, uh, so that makes me feel more balanced about it. Because ultimately, right. I'm bringing people, I'm bringing us together. Yeah. Me and them and them as well. So it's kind of beautiful. It gives me shivers to think about. It sounds so corny with you, but it is the balance of like because I I don't feel good about saying like I like the attention, but I love. There's nothing better than being in a room full of strangers and sharing a laugh about something. Yeah, and at the end going, we had that experience. Totally, it's it's magic. Yeah, magic. Yeah, and I mean, but then because for instance, I hate it when people come up to me after the show to tell me it was good. Really, when I want to crawl into a dirt hole. Why? That's where, that's the tension I don't want. So if somebody comes up and says, hey, I saw your stand-up, it was really good, you're like, go Well, I'm, I know, I'm very polite, but I'm like, please, oh, thank you so much, now please leave. Like, I, I, I can't stand the, um, uh. Why is that? It's like, it's like, woman can't take a compliment to the nth degree. And is that something you're like, I'm working on that, or is it just something you'll always own? Um... Because aren't you proud? Of course. Like, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I am glad they've told me that they liked it, but I feel very uncomfortable in the moment. Right. Um, and so, no, I've learned to say thank you where I think I used to be like, oh, whatever. Uh, Oops. You know, um, accidentally did that, um, which is actually really irritating. Yeah. It's like humble bread or like, you know, it's like own it. You did it. It's not an accident. I'm honored. 
if anybody ever comes up and be like, you did this and it was really funny or you did this and I really liked it, I'm like, I'm honored, A, that you told me. Yeah. No, of course. I feel the same way. It's just, it's this, it's a problem. And I think it goes back to um, uh, my family, probably, sure. you know, everything does all for does. everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you make your uh, family laugh? Oh, Yes. And we're uh, a funny family. Like, I think there's yeah. a lot of characters in my family yeah. and storytelling, um, uh, jokes. So, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, for sure. I think I, I can cut a rug at home. Is it you? Is that Do you have siblings? A uh, one brother. And is he funny? Oh, yes. Yeah. We're all... Uh, and is he in comedy? Does he do stuff? No, him? he's a reporter, a journalist. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting that we pursue these things and then when we get recognized for it we're like never yeah. mind never mind these yeah as opposed I, to owning that kind of never mind these yeah, i like that well i think i feel and maybe again like uh i feel a bit like a civil servant uh, like when and the same thing when people are like uh let me explain uh when people are like you do stand up i don't know if you get this one of the number one words yeah is you're so brave so brave so brave so brave but you don't feel brave i don't feel brave it's just something that i had in me and so when I say I feel like a civil servant, it's like, I'm just doing my job. Right. Like, right. so when people are like, it's amazing. You're so brave. I'm like, yeah. it's just a job. Right. And that's maybe where I feel, right. I don't feel special, you know, like, I'm so glad I'm able to do it. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's a gift. I, I, what I feel luckiest about is that I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Cause I, some people are so lost their whole lives. Like, did you, you ever know, waver? Did you ever go, oh, yes. I'm going to oh, try yes. working as a dental hygienist? Big test. I don't know what. Yes, before I did stand... So I went to university. I went to a performing arts high school. In Montreal? In Ottawa. Oh, from O-Town. Okay. Um, but, but then wait, also... Were you really born in Brazil? I was. That's nuts. Wait, how did you know that? Because I... Re- On my website? Do, I research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was born in Brazil because my dad was a diplomat. Right. Um, and then so we moved in and out of Ottawa. Right, right, right. But when we were in Canada, I was in Ottawa. So majority of your childhood, Ottawa. Split. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Brazil, Romania, Thailand, and France. Like, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's probably why I'm funny. What, was there ever a chance that you weren't going to do stand-up? Okay, yeah. So um, I went to this performing arts high school uh, did improv there, you know, so really, then I auditioned for theater schools and I thought that that would be, you know, my, my path. And then I didn't get into theater school. I got on the waiting lists of Concordia, Concordia and Ryerson. Okay. Um, and, and then I think I was like, well, F you performing. Right. Um, and I, t- I went to Banff and like, you know, yeah. lived there for a while or six months or three months. It was what do you mean just to live? Or yeah, to- just my friend was living there and I was, I was like, fine, go. I'll go to Banff. Like it was a year, uh, it was after high school. Yeah. And then I, my dad was like, you have to go to university. So I went to Concordia for English and history. Right. Um, I had some teachers who were like professors who were... Bored. I was bored. I was yeah. bored out of my mind. I love English and history, but but you were bored with their teaching, like yeah. style, or yeah, they were like they were these big survey courses, you know, yeah. and, the, and then the American Revolution, oh, yeah. and I was like, what am I doing here? So, I don't even want to really. I just went because my dad really wanted me to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love you, Daddy. No, I call my parents, mommy and daddy. By the way, but that's fair. You know, like that's not anything too like. 
Like, heaven forbid, like, oh my god, I had a dad that wanted me to go to secondary school. That's, no, it's really good. good. No, right? absolutely, yeah. Um, okay, so when you went through that, did you finish? No. So I took a year, and I was like, this is so boring. And what I was doing was I was secretly going home, and instead of doing my homework, I was, I had a bootlegged copy of Adobe Photoshop. Um, so I also had that. Oh, you did? Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah. And so I went, I would go home and play with that. And then I was like, why don't I just do this? So then I went to college for graphic design. Oh. And I finished that. It was like a year and a half diploma program. And I loved it. But then I started applying for jobs in Montreal as a graphic designer. And they were all awful. Like paid nothing. And right. they were in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, and it and that's was, when you realize, like, I don't like it that much. Yeah. And I, if you like it that much, paid nothing going nowhere, it doesn't matter because you love it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, uh, then I started, what, how did it go? It was around this time that I think I was like, I don't want to work in an office right. for zero money. That's a big turning point, I think, for a lot of artists. Yeah, you're like, holy crap, I can't live in a cubicle. Yeah, and it was this weird, like, I would, I remember taking the bus out to these horrible interviews. It would take me, like, an hour and a half to get there. And there were buses that were, that would only run during rush hour. Because nobody would be going there unless they were going to work there. Right. Um, it would take me an hour and a half to get there. And then there would be these gray... People. In nondescript yeah. buildings and people. And, and shirts and dark pants. Yeah, and, and like... The one thing that really depressed me, and actually it just shows good work ethic, but were people who are really excited about what you'd be doing yeah. at the job. And it was like really, um, like one of them it was to design forms, like with lines. Yes. Yeah. Um, no. And like, but like these forms, there was no image, there were no images. Right. It was literally like put a line here. Yeah. And anyway, I decided at this time, this is not for Didn't me. Work. So then I started... I actually, this is now boring, but I got a job working for a friend who uh, paid me a decent salary and I was kind of his assistant slash graphic designer. Okay. And that was a great job. And it was while I was working for him that I started doing stand-up. And, um, and that was just a whim. Like, did you see like an open mic that you're like, I'm just going to go? No, it, it had been an ongoing conversation with my friends since I was in high school that I'm going to do stand-up. One day right. I'm going to do stand-up. You're so funny. You yeah. do stand-up. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to do stand-up. And, and so it just like, it was like year after year. And then I think, so I was 23 the first time I did it. And wow. I guess I was in a part of my life, you know, where I was figuring like, I don't want to work in an office. Um, I'm working for this guy, but I, you know, and he was, he was a great guy and he took me under his wing and I learned a lot about like business and sure. stuff. But then I was like, I don't know if I want to invest too much in this. And I yeah. don't know if I want him to invest too much in me. Right. Cause he was like training me and. Interesting. And, yeah, so I, um, so it was, I guess, you know, a bit of a fork in the road. Yeah. And meanwhile, I spent that summer, I started going just to watch open mics. Right. At like Yuck Yucks. No, it was in Montreal, so it was the Comedy Nest. Oh, okay. Um, and, and yeah, I started going, I went like five times and I had my friend Elizabeth would come with me. And then finally one day I asked like the door guy who I'd kind of become chummy with. Right. Um, you know, I was wondering how, how does, how does somebody do an open mic? And he was like, I was waiting for you to ask. Oh. And I was like, Woody. And he was like, nobody comes, you know, to open mics every week and doesn't have an interest in. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and he was like, all you do is call and leave your name at this time. And you know, we'll call you back. Yeah. And that's, it was so, it was uncomfortably easy. 
And do you remember like going up on stage the first time? Oh yeah. And being like, I don't want to do anything else. Um, or was it good or bad the first time? It was pretty good. Like, uh, right. I remember thinking, as long as I make them laugh once, I'll be happy. Right. And they left a bunch of times. I was on autopilot during, so, uh, I... But you hadn't tested any material out. No. Maybe with your, your friend. I don't even know if I did. Maybe? I, I can't remember. Oh my god, were you so sweaty? Oh my god. Do you know what we did the night before? My friend, Elizabeth, we watched Punchline. With Tom Hanks. With Sally Field. Yeah. I was like, this is what you do the night before you do yeah, stand up. Yeah. Um, oh my God, that's fantastic. And it's like such a depressing film. It's really depressing. Um, and so, okay, so you did that. You're like, okay, I, I'm going to do this again. Yeah, so there I did it. Like I was a question. I was very happy. And do you remember the first time you bombed? Oh, yeah. So, and by the way, the first time I did stand up, I remember other comics coming up to me. And I'm saying, like, wow, that was really good for a first time. Like, congratulations. And I was talking to the women on the roster. Oh, no. No. Um, Oh, there might have been one. There was one woman, Isabel Gaumont. She's still, she's French-Canadian. Yeah. She performed in both languages. And she's still there. I remember she was there that night. I don't know if she was on the show. Okay. Um, But, uh, oh, and Ron Vaudry, who is (laughs) an old-school Canadian comic, he was the he was headliner? the headliner that week. So yeah. you had a bunch of people that came up and were like, "You were really good." Some of the younger guys, and um, one of them was my friend Tim Rabnet. And I remember him telling me that he'd been doing stand up. I don't know at that point, like two or three years. And I remember thinking, "What a chump! Three years, I'll be famous." Oh, <laughs> right, right. Like I, I'm still doing this stuff for exactly. Right. I really thought I was going to be famous in like a month. And what did that mean, like famous? That somebody was going to see me and put me on a TV show and I was going to be making audiences laugh from coast to coast. Like, yeah. I just... Fly off to Hollywood. Yeah. Or fly off to Toronto. Something. Yeah. yeah. Some yeah. A bigger city. Yeah. Um, offers coming in, okay. left, right, and center. I really... You know, it's like the typical ignorance is bliss. Um, I mean, it has happened. It's not... Incredible. It has, but, but I also know now that that's a disaster if that happens. Right. Um, right, right, right. So I should be glad that it did not happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought it was going to. And then the first time I bombed yeah. was, I think, the fifth time I performed. So I did this open mic yeah. uh, four weeks in a row. I was doing pretty well. I also, oh, these are hilarious rules I had when I started. Oh. I'll never do the same joke twice. Yeah, and why do you talk to yourself in that higher register, I wonder? Because I'm an idiot. Oh, so when you're an idiot, you talk to her like Yeah, that. okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll never do the same joke twice. Right. I'll never swear. Right. And I think the third one was, I'll never talk about my period. Right. Because at that time, it was this ongoing stereotype, which, I mean, it still kind of is, uh, unfortunately, deep down, I think, in people's minds, that women only talk about their periods. Right. Their booze, their periods, and boyfriends. Yeah. 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 Um, meanwhile... I still don't really think I see women talk about their periods enough. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I think it's still a taboo. And as Margaret Cho very well put it in a set, like, 15 years ago, if men had their periods, that's all they would talk about. Right. Right, right, right. Um, anyway, but I've broken all of those rules. Uh, and, like, and, and also... Not like in really, the first five. Well, not in the four, first five. Um, but I mean... What's funny is a comic who never does the same joke twice is a bad comic. You got to work on yeah. jokes. I mean, 
not, not improvisers, but like stand-up comedy. Well, um, yeah. You can't... Because you want to know the arc of your set. But also you're not crafting the joke. Right, if right. thing is, is stuff is just as a stand-up yeah. comic, like you can riff with the audience. All you, but like, that's a different... Anyway. Yeah. Um, in stand-up, I believe, yeah, you should have... Like a good joke should take you like maybe a year to like hone. I get it. Um, so anyway, uh, I broke all those rules. And then, so the, f- uh, the fifth time I performed the the door guy was like, uh, Hey, you've been, you've been, you've been doing pretty well on the open mics. Uh, you want to, you want to do five minutes on Saturday? And I was like, oh, uh, okay. See, I was getting famous. Right. Um, famous. I was moving up. And so I invited my boss, this guy who had taken me under his wing. Um, I invited him. But he and wasn't a stand-up. That's no, 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 no. No, but I like, he was my boss. And I was like, doing stand-up again. I want to come this Saturday hot show. And like. I'm basically famous. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. He was there and some friends of mine. And, That's you know. so ballsy to invite people to your, to your stand-up. This is ignorance is bliss. And this, so I have a funny thing to say after this. But anyway, so I invited all these people. Uh. And it was a Saturday night, and the context is different. People have paid. Right, right. Um, They're expecting a, yeah, a Saturday show. A Saturday show. Yeah. It's different, different levels. And again, I don't, you know, I hadn't honed any jokes. I'm pretty sure they were new things that I was saying. And um, I, it was silence. Silence. Tell me that. Tell me about that. Like, where, how did that sit in your body? Because oh I got that too. Oh my God. It was, it, you know, Death. I died. It was... In improv, I just open up a cabinet and start making a cake. Totally. Yeah, I know. And with stand-up, uh, <laughs> you're alone. Yeah. Uh, well, and sometimes you're alone in improv. But, uh, no, I, my mouth went dry. I, uh, I, 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 it's funny, with thinking back, I feel almost more badly for the audience. It must have been excruciating to see this young woman on stage just like, floundering oh my God. um and then how did you recover like did you ever go well that's it never going to do that again that's a really good question because that's when a lot of stand-ups stop working i know right that's when they go i've had that bad experience and i can't recover from that pain i wonder if that's when i, I went on that break but i don't oh. think so i think i had done okay again um you know what i can't remember what happened i remember being very embarrassed um, I remember having to see my boss on Monday. It just, oh, I mean, don't you still have those moments where you have a bad set and then you see your friends afterwards? Oh, that, that's what I was going to say. So you're like, oh, it's so ballsy to invite people to your show. Yeah. And the first... As a newbie. Yeah, but what's funny is for the first three years, like, so I got over that, whatever. I eventually, you know, kept... Kept doing it. and Did you go home and eat like a tub of ice cream or anything like that? Did you do anything that just comforted you? You know what's really funny? Oh, no. Uh, no different story. But uh, I don't I don't remember what I did that night. I probably got drunk or something. I don't I know. Yeah. You know, but it was excruciating. But uh, I used to invite people to my shows all the time uh-huh. in the first three, four, or five years. Yeah, I'm doing Santa. Come by. Yeah, you should come. You should come. And now, 18 years in... The last thing I will ever do is invite someone to a show. Right. Because no matter how experienced you are, <laughs> no matter where the show is, chances are I have someone I care about in the room, something will go wrong, 
And I hate the conversation after. Yeah. That was great. And so, like, looking back at your material, too, Mm -hmm. that has evolved. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, when you first started, did you... Because a lot of stand-up comics talk about finding their voice. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you had your voice from early. Um... I think so. Uh, my my style has changed. I used to be more joke oriented, uh-huh. and now I feel like, to be honest, it frustrates me. I'm more like story oriented, and within the story, there are jokes. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that kind of came out of laziness or meandering. Maybe the styles have changed, like Louis C.K. Right. Kind of. It does you know, feel more personal. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big, I'm really into personal. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a thing where if a stand-up comic gets off stage and I don't feel like I know them, I feel like they were a waste of my time. Right. I want And eat. was that always the way you felt? Um, I think it took me a long time to pinpoint that that was a preference. Right. Um, but also, stand-up has changed a lot since I started doing stand-up. Right. Because you started, I mean, you have a lot of, like, um, sexy humor? What do you yes. even call it? It's because I remember. I know that's not dirty humor. I know there's a whole like ridiculousness around. Like that. there's a dirty. Like it's it's funny. Uh, I think I don't mind the term dirty. I think it bothers me that it's that it has this horrible connotation, and I think it's sassy. I think there's like sassy, a sassy and honest. Sure, like but you can be on like you talk a lot about like sex mm-hmm. and stuff like that and mm-hmm. being brought up by a British lady. I'm mm-hmm. like ooh la la. Which yeah. is weird because that's French, but yes, it's true. She, uh, but like that kind of world of like uh, revealing. It's a revealing, yeah, insight. Well, no, and there, and there, um, there you have it with the connection. Like mm-hmm. I, I like to say things out loud in public that most people would never want to say, right? And then knowing that you know there are three people in the audience who are like, thank God. It's not just me. And then other people being like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to her. Right. Is there um, a joke that you know, like, is the one that everybody goes, oh my God, thank God, it's not just me? Um, I think there's, there are a few. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's funny. There is a joke that I, I, I want to tell possibly um, at a festival this summer where I might get taped. Right. Um, about of kind of very disgusting sexual experience I had. Okay. Um, and it's a joke I've been telling and it always does really well because people are like, Oh my God. But also me too. That happened to me. Hopefully uh, me too. Or even just like something similar happened to me. And yeah. Um, but I'm like, do I want this joke on tape? Tape. You're right. Right, right, right. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Because it is so revealing. Yeah. So you don't, like, I find, like, all of your stand-up, ever since, like, even the earlier stand-up stuff, has it been so personal. Uh-huh. Yeah. So has there ever been a chance that you regret being that personal? Like, you're very exposed. Yeah. No, I don't think that I do. I think what bothers me is, for instance, like, let's say, again, it comes back to my personal life with men. Yeah. So, um... And you're okay just telling everybody this is what it is? What, the men? Yeah. No, this is my problem. Oh, okay. So, so you know, you're asking if, like, oh, do I regret exposing myself so much? Yeah. So, in general, no. But then, let's say I start dating someone. Right. I never want my boyfriends to come see me perform. Right. I think of, I think of my stand-up as, like, a very different part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, it, oddly, 
in personal uh, relationships, I'm kind of timid and um, shy uh, and in some ways square. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, she's looking at me with the most doubt. I don't believe you. Like, it's such, I mean, I believe you because I trust yeah. that you're not lying to yeah. me. But, but it's also shocking. Um, I find you so bold. No, I, I yeah, no, and I'm bold. Um, uh, in, in intellectually, like, and I hate, I don't want to use that word, but I think I think I piss a lot of men off because right. I, I like want to argue, and um, as I get older, I have more and more trouble just being like, oh, really? When a man says something that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. or I used to just say, oh, really? And I'm like, that's you know, anyway, that's a whole right. But all this to say, so let's say I start seeing a man and then A, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube, which I can't hide from them. No. But I hate that because I feel like get to know me before you look right. at what I'm doing on stage. Right. Um, but also like then I, there's the second tier issue of like, what if it gets serious and his parents ask right. what I do? But then where do you put all that? Like how do you own, that's ownership of what you put out there. I know. And but, do you have a second guess? Like going, I don't want to tell this joke because I don't want my future husband's mother to I never second guess before, but sometimes after, I'm, you know, I mean, whatever. It, the damage is done now. Right. There's too much out there to recoup. But, um, and I, would, I wouldn't change anything. No. But I think it's a shame that I have to feel that way. Right. Uh, I mean, I was seeing a guy recently and, um, yeah, and he was like, well, I'm coming to your next show. And I was like, no. And it was interesting to me because he didn't understand why I would have a problem with that or be yeah. nervous about that or feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And t- and I'm very territorial about it. Like, it's not it's not like a flirty, like, no. I'm like, no. Like, I, <laughs> right. And, um, but it is interesting because that means that you're more honest with a group of strangers than you are with somebody that you're becoming intimate with. It's a different kind of honesty, though. I mean, it, it, uh, like, I feel like when I watch her stand up, I'm like, oh my gosh, she is telling me everything. I will tell him. And I do. It's like what you said. Like, I feel like after the end of watching, like, even one of your clips, I'm like, oh, I know Rebecca a yes. further, which is great, which is a, but it's not to say a I, gift to be able to give to something. I think so. But it's not to say that I won't tell these men these things, but I want to tell them on my own time. Right. In a context. Like, I want to tell, you know, like... The most disgusting sexual experience I have, I want to tell them, we've had some drinks. Right. We're giggling. And the but you can't happened. stop them from looking online. Um, no, I know. That's my so point. So then, do you sort of sit down and be like, what have you seen? I, I avoid it. Right. I don't want to know. Right. And if they're still there at the end of the day, then fine. Yeah. Um, but you don't hesitate to put yourself out there. I guess not, No. I guess I do before I think. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any regrets? Do you have any jokes out there that you regret putting into the world? Just in terms of what we just talked about. Like, or not regret, but stress. Yeah. Um, I wish... It's such a weird world that we're in, right? It is. I find myself semi-private and semi-wanting to be... uh, Put myself out there. Yeah, and it's a weird thing because you want you want to be uh, vulnerable. You want to put yourself into a world that people go, "Oh, I know who she is." Mm-hmm. But then there's also a level where you're like, "What well, kind of mind stuff?" Yeah. Well, and here's the thing: like when I started doing stand up, there was no YouTube, right? Um, I didn't think and like Twitter, Instagram, um, like when people say like, "Well, I can just find you on YouTube," 
like, because uh, this guy I was seeing, he was like, uh, well, you chose to do a public thing. But when I started doing it, it wasn't so public. Right. Like, it was public, but you had to physically go to the place to right. see it. Right. It's very different. For sure, for sure. From a click of, of your mouse. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, the, the world we live in right now, like, I, 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 you know, I live in it and I use it. In some, in some ways, it's fun. And then in other ways, I find it horrific. Yeah. Yes. Has that backlashed for you? Um, I feel like as an older person in this environment, um, older person, I'm like, as an elderly. <laughs> um, and yeah, what are you, 75? I'm 75. Uh-huh. I don't, like like I said, when I started doing stand-up, to me it was like the best stand-ups excel um, for being funny. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was still swagger and confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But now, thank you. Um, she's pairing me some vino. <laughs> um, now it's, how many Twitter followers do you have? How many Instagram followers? Or how many jokes do you have under? Like, that's not my game. Right. And, and I, you know, I try to... But you're trying. You have to try. Like, I mean, are you working on social media? Like, where's your... I try to an extent. marketing? I try to an extent. You've got but, a great website. Oh, really? Yeah. I designed that myself. But it's also funny. This is the thing where it comes to, like, combi. Like, everything you do has to be a little bit funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, too. Um, um, so, how, what's your relationship with social media? Like, I love Instagram. But see, for instance, I remember being at the Rose... What's that big flea market here? Yeah, Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl. I was just um, there. It's such a great... So It's so big, though. So big. I was there with a comic, and I saw some antlers. Somebody was selling a bunch of antlers, yeah. if anyone's interested. There's an antler guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I was taking a picture of the antlers, and my friend said, Whoa, what's the joke? And I was like, pardon? And he was like... <laughs> Oh, you take the photo first and then think of the joke. And I was like, oh no, I just thought it looked interesting. It's right. a bunch of antlers. Um, and I realized then that like I don't use social media in that way. Like I, 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 I'm very rarely like being like, what would be hilarious for right. me? It's just not where my brain goes. And I, I'm envious of people who are good at it or and who who put the effort in Excel. For me on Instagram, I really just want to share what I think is like beautiful or interesting. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny, sure. But like that's not ever my And that's sort of your brand. Like if you want to go into that discussion, sure. It's sort yeah. of the brand of Rebecca is that she does things that are interesting, beautiful, and funny. It's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. just funny. I like that. I think that's valid. Maybe you should work for me. Oh my god, PR? I'm looking for work, so thank you. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, <laughs> I've made my first hire. That's right. Um so, so when you're yeah. constructing a joke, let's, I just want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your process because I'm so intrigued about like, is there any joke that you are so proud of, like because of its construction? There's one joke. It's very old. Um, uh, that I'm proud of, but what's funny is I don't know where it came from. Huh. Sometimes you... I mean, if I believed in God, I would be like, God put it inside of me. Oh, um, sure. I mean... With his... Go on. Scepter. <laughs> um, I but, mean, I don't know God is that funny, but I mean, he should be. I'm sure he has his moment. Oh, God, Look at this guy. Dark comedy. Dark. Dark. Look Black. at the world. Um, Which joke is this? It was... It's about... I was watching The Wheel of Fortune once, and um, there, the, there's a contestant... And, uh, 
at the beginning of the episode, she told Pat Sajak that uh, it had always been her dream to be on the Wheel of Fortune. And um, she started crying. She was like, so thank you for making my dream come true. And and I thought, oh, isn't that nice? Um, what a great dream. But maybe when she does and goes to heaven, she can look up Martin Luther King. Right. And they can talk about the dreams they had while they were on Earth. And then she'd be like, oh, that's nice. But mine came true. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that joke. I really like that joke. But uh, to this day, like, it's not, like, that's the thing, like... I feel like all my best jokes a come out came out of my mouth uh, on stage because I do like, write out loud. Spontaneously, you don't like sit at home and, and work on that a and bit. Then... But so what I'll do is I'll be like, "Here's an idea. I think it's funny, and maybe I'll come up with like you know a bit of a punchline." But it is the so I do use improv mm-hmm. to my advantage, like. Because it's not until you get on stage and you feel the audience on you, and that's when it's like, boom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a combination of thinking and then doing, but that joke, yeah, like, uh, I don't know how it came about. Yeah. So will you see something that's happening in your world or in your sex life and be like, oh, this is the beginning of a joke? Um, no. And, excuse me. Um, oh, that's a really, I don't know. I mean... I would say my process excuse me, is really scattered. Yeah? Um, because your jokes come out clean. Like, they don't come out as if you're thinking through the thought. It seems like it's just well-designed jokes to me. It is. Well, as Nick Flanagan put it, I think it's usually, it's like an argument. Right. I'm making an argument right. for this. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me, because I do think of, of humor as logic. It's a logic game. Mm-hmm. And... That's interesting. Yeah, and also getting back to briefly touching on women. um, We were talking about it earlier. Being funny. Oh, being... The power of it? The power, you being in the room with the men. Yeah. Um, Christopher Hitchens wrote an article in Vanity Fair some 10 to 15 years ago called Why Women Aren't Funny. Right, right, right. And it caused a big stink. Yeah. Um, I've read that article like three times. And in some ways, I think it was one of the... uh, most beautiful tributes to thinking about women in comedy and funny women. If you read the article, have you read it? Like ages ago. Okay. He actually gives the, t- the subject a really good, um, he gives it attention. And he gives, like, why? Because here's the thing. Right. Yes, we, we all agree women are it, funny. Right? Yeah. But why have we not been allowed to be? Why do men dislike it? Um, they're really good questions. Yeah. And as much as we want to forget that it existed, that this problem, A, it still exists, and B, why? I think it's important to figure out why so that we can deal with it. And like in our, anyway. Right. But what he, part of his argument is, um, men don't like women to be funny because humor is a sign of intelligence because you cannot be funny if you're not smart because it's a logic game. And men... They want to be the smart one. Right. So we think it's that men want to be the funny one, but really it's that ultimately they want to be the smart one because smarts are power. Um, like where a caveman would move a boulder in this day and age, if a guy wants to provide for his family, he's got to be smart. Right. And so he doesn't want the competition. He'll design the thing that moves yes. the boulder. Yes. Right. And if a woman's like, well, I can also design that, that's going to cause a problem. Right. Right. 
Anyway, that's one of his thoughts. It's a it, like it's it's worth rereading. Yeah, no, article. I will. That's interesting. Um, I've thought of that for a long time. Yeah. He says a bunch of irritating things too, but actually he never says that women aren't funny and he talks about a lot of existing funny women. He yeah. more talks about why society has a had or has a problem with it. Right. And you kind of launched yourself into so many rooms full of women, like mm-hmm. with, like working on uh, working moms mm-hmm. or Shit's Creek or like I know you wrote for people like Whitney Cummings and oh yes yes like, I did what was that like writing because I feel like you were hired in those kind of circumstances because you are a bold woman um yeah in fact I got the Just for Left's writing job I know the first year I got it because they had like three female comics coming and they needed a woman right and that was the Sarah, Sarah Silverman Sarah Silverman Whitney Cummings and Kathy, Kathy Griffin Griffin yeah and you know, it was a it was a great opportunity, and I did it a few years in a row. But it, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, that, how so? Well, that you know, that's why I got the job. Right. And that that's the first. Well, I was one of the first women they'd hired for that job. You know, um, but but then to be honest, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Like, how do you feel about being the first woman, or like we need a woman writer because they're women comedians. It's a shame that, you know, it's like this thing came out to, today or yes, this Tina Fey or no, oh, yeah, I, yeah, with David I, Letterman. Yeah, I posted an article about it today. That's why it's fresh on my mind. But, um, you know, where she calls him on why didn't you have more women writers? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we didn't have a rule against them. Oh, well, I don't know. Um and I think that somebody commented on the article that I posted saying this is the worst kind of sexism because it's like hidden. Like, I'm just a dumb grandpa. Right. And and it's 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 detrimental. Yeah. You're not just a dumb grandpa. Like, anyway. Yeah. You can't just hide behind. Ignorance. No. Like, you have to take responsibility. Going, you yeah. Know what? I don't know why that didn't happen. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. And he kind of says that, but it's like also kind of, he's like pussyfooting. It's, right. Um, it's not satisfying. Right. And frankly, I kind of wish Tina Fey had like pushed it further. Right. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever something like that comes up, I'm so shocked by people's behavior like that that I'm I'm silenced by. Which one? Oh, like, like, anything like that. Like, 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 what would you say to him yeah, at that point? Yeah, now, yeah. like after a day, she's probably like, oh, why didn't I say this, that, or the other? Like, totally, you're right. But and it's David times. Letterman. Like, I'd be... I might be a little intimidated to like start a fight with him. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, you wrote that great article about jokes and um, but how like a lot of people are like, oh, can't you take a joke? Oh, was it the Me Too thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, that was like one of the most... Oh, yeah, because you commented on it, I yeah. think. Yeah. It was just really like eloquent, but it was also saying something that as a comedian, like I think about all the time because if somebody in our community says something and they mean it as a joke... My intention is like I go well. I want you to know. I get where that where you're trying to be funny. It's just not. Yeah, you're you don't know your audience. Yeah, but where I used to be at is like oh they're just being funny. I'll just let them be funny. Uh-huh. No, take a joke. Take a joke. Take a, joke. take a joke. Yeah, and I always want to take a joke because I'm in a comedian. I know it's world. a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um. But also, you know, my dad raised me with the. He was constantly like, "There's truth in jest." There's truth in jest. Yeah. My mom said many words said in jest. Same yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and For I sure I is. believe that. Um, you know, I guess you know you got to take what you can get, and and you got to think. Well, at least they're hiring me. 
Um, sure. I suppose. But I remember there are like one of the rooms I was in at that, at, at the just for laughs festival there, there were some jokes. So my job there was to write, um, intros for comedians. Mm-hmm. So there would be a famous host coming in, um, like a Sarah Silverman or uh, Pete Johansson or whatever. Yeah. And, oh, no, that's not. Pete, the guy from... Anyway, Saturday Night Live people. I've had too many white wines. <laughs> Pete Johansson, I think, is a comic from Vancouver. Um, Isn't he from Crashing? Is that Pete no. Johansson? We'll edit so this anyway. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, my job was to write jokes for the famous hosts who were going to come in and introduce the comics around the show. Gotcha. And there were... I was in a room of like two other older men and there were a bunch of jokes that were kind of sexist and some were a little bit racist and they were like behind the times and I tried to bring it to their attention, you know, in a very diplomatic way because the other thing is when you're the only woman in the room, um, you're navigating a difficult uh, river because you want to get your point across and you're like, I'm here as a woman and I should represent as a woman and I should make sure that I'm heard, you know, or that, that I raise these issues. But if you do it too assertively, you might lose their attention, maybe get fired, maybe cause tension. So you kind of want to stay in their good books so that you can still get your message across. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Oh, Yes. <laughs> Like, and then also crazy that we can't just speak. Speak. And when I would try to speak, um, I'd get a lot of, no, of course that's not how we mean it. No, that's stupid. No, the joke is staying. You know, this kind of like, like I'm telling you this is offensive to women Mm -hmm. or whatever. Why am I here if you don't want my voice? Yeah. And then for you to pshaw me and... Yeah, it's just, it is very frustrating. And then, and then I I, I remember one of my friends was introduced with a horrific intro about how like a dog urinated on her or something. And I remember feeling so, I was on the writing team that like delivered and approved that joke. Right. And she was horrified. And that's her lead in to walk on stage. Yeah, yeah. And I, and it was, I still feel bad about it. Yeah. Oh, it was so awkward. Did I talk to her about it? Oh yeah. I I cried. I was devastated for her and like embarrassed. And I felt like I felt neutered. Uh, Ironic. But, um, because I had tried to say like, this isn't very nice. And they were like, pasha. Awful. And then, um, and then I saw her before the show, but I didn't know if I should say, by the way, your intro is like I I didn't know what my rights were and for anyway, it was um it was terrible. Yeah. But but there is this kind of thing too of like, why did why there's still a lot of blindness out there. Let's put it that way. Yeah. How do you where do you put that? Like as you advance in your career, you're living in Los Angeles, you're 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 I mean, you've been in some of the top writing rooms in Canada. Mm-hmm. So now you're gonna become in a top writer room in America. Although I'm starting from the bottom, but yes. Sure, but that's yeah. only a matter of time. You sure. just can't give up, right? Yeah, oh no, absolutely, yeah. Is that your goal? Is that your big goal is to be like in a great, 
writer's room in America? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Um, and that's an interesting transition that I just kind of realized I'm going through. Um, you know, I've always been a stand-up. That's where my heart lay. But also, you know, we were talking about, you were like, oh, you're so confident. And I'm like, but I'm not. And I... When I have a show, like I know some stand-ups and they're like, oh, I have a gig tonight. And they're like excited. When I have a gig, it's like I have a dentist appointment looming over me. I'm never, sure, I'm excited like if I know it's a good show or I have new material. Like I I look forward to it in some ways, but in, in most ways I'm like, what if they hate me? What if I bomb? Especially in LA, every show right. feels like an audition. Yes. Because um, in Toronto, people will be like, oh, that was just, she just had a rough show. She's totally. like, fantastic. Yeah. Whereas here it's like she's had this rough show. Yeah. That's all I know of her. Yeah, she sucks. In fact, I did a show once here. I did a show. There was a show that existed that I won't mention. I killed. Then they asked me to host one. I asked to do another spot. And they were like, there's no spots, but do you want to host? And I was like, okay. It's kind of weird. Like, anyway. And it was a terrible show. And I ate shit. Like, and hosting is the worst because you're eating yeah. shit and you have to keep going back yeah. to eat more. Yeah. Um, and then I asked, you know, six months later to do another spot. And they were like, sorry, no. You're not doing You your had show. your chance. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, I killed the first time I did your show. Yeah. But yeah, it was a race. Anyway, but I realize now I, um, I, I will always love stand-up and I think I'll always do stand-up. But I, that's not the lifestyle I want. Right. I'm tired. I get it. I don't want to go out at night. You know, that's not how I, I don't want to tour. I don't want to live out of suitcases. Yeah. And, and I did stand up for such a long time and then I started writing and I forgot about like camaraderie and um, collaboration Mm -hmm. and feeling like you did something together and hugging Stand-up is such a, you know, it is isolating and it is competitive and it's because it's me against you and the other seven people on the show in a weird way, you know? Um, So do you think there'll be a time when you don't do stand-up then? I don't know. I I don't think so. I I feel like it's always something, it's a good question, but like, I feel like it's always something I will um, do. I think the difference is... I remember a few years ago, I went to see a show uh, at Akbar, and it was hosted by Aaron Foley, who's mm-hmm. a very funny comic here in LA. And she, it's a, a show called Gays Are Us. Anyway, it's a long story, but somebody like dragged me to the show. I, at the time, I had never heard um, of any of the comics on the show. And there was this woman on the show. She was older, probably like 50. I'd never seen her before, and she was so funny. Yeah. So I found out later that this woman was a writer for Ellen. Okay. And, um, yeah, she, maybe she used to do stand-up, but she comes out sometimes. And, yeah. And that's what I would love to do. Gotcha. Because I'll always love, again, the connection. And, yes. yes, it's a rush and the attention, but I don't want to depend on that. Right. To make a living. Do you like your life here in Los Angeles? I do. Yeah. I just need the job. Yeah. To make it. But yeah, I really like it. I get it. I like the weather. I like the people. I like um, the food. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. 
And do you have any like, do you have any regrets of like things that you wish you had done before you got here? Like, um, I don't know, like wise or yeah, like because we are where we are, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Like I can't. No, regrets are kind of useless. Yeah, they are. But if there was something like you would have told yourself, you know, eighteen years ago when you were first starting, own it. Just you're you're pretty good, Rebecca. Just go in there. Right. Like, I I I feel like I really held myself back with self doubt, and um, being timid and. And you're not alone. No, I know. You know. I mean, and I think, especially in our field, yeah, uh, the imposter syndrome is so common. Mm-hmm. In fact, that that book, live, uh, live from New York, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's all tidbits about Saturday Night Live yeah, stars. They're like all thinking, like I was waiting to be found out yeah. that I was a fraud. Yeah. Um, and but I, you know. One thing that frustrates me, and there's there's nothing anybody can do about it, I feel like I was constantly on the periphery of a movement. Like, I, I feel like I was not, by no means was I one of the first female comics in Canada at all, but I, um... Feels like you started a wave, though. It does feel like you and Sarah and... Kristen Von Hagen was uh-huh. part of like a group of like unapologetic female comics. Yeah. And Deborah. Deb. Deborah. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm missing names for sure. No. Like, and, and no. Um, <laughs> but for sure, there's a group of you that I, was, I remember watching going, you're not just trying this out. Totally. You're and I'm committing to it. And it was really exciting to see how far you would take it. Yeah. And I think for me, there was a, there was, um, and this might sound like in- internalized misogyny, but I was very determined. I never thought of myself as a female comic. I thought of myself as a comic. And I was always very, um, because I, I, you know, eventually I did want to talk about my period, but I also, I always wanted material that would go both ways, mm-hmm. that both sexes mm-hmm. could appreciate. Yeah. And, and because I'm a diplomat's kid, I think I always wanted to appease everyone. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. And so I feel like, I don't know. Anyway, I remember somebody uh, that used to work for Just for Laughs telling me once, like, we're really looking for a perspective, point of view. And I feel like in some ways I lacked that because I feel like, but what's odd is I had a lot of it, but I feel like when I started... I was just a funny comic and people in power positions didn't know what to do with me because I didn't fit a female pigeonhole. Right. I was talking about female things. No, I was just a comic. Right. And they were like, well, we don't know. She's not talking about relationships. So we can't put her on the relationship show. Right. I feel like at the beginning, there was a lot of that trying to fit a woman where she belonged. Right. And then that kind of passed. And I feel like this wave, I'm a little frustrated because I'm like the older um, anyway, whatever. This is like a... No, I'm curious about that. Um, so now you're like the older, which isn't old. Like No, but it's also something. not, yeah, like I'm not a sexual, gender fluid. Like I'm not, you know, I'm... But no, like, I mean, Whitney Cummings is killing it. She, I saw her stand up a little while ago and she was amazing and she's not 20 something. No, There's I'm, a wave of women that she's are also, also in that world. 
I feel like I missed my moment. Oh. A little bit. And but, but like I'm not just I'm not unhappy with where I am. I'm frustrated with where I'm frustrated with when I started. I wish I started 10 years later. I guess. Like I wish I was Yeah, I wish you, you wish we were uh, 10 years younger right now. Maybe. Like I'm not and not because I want youth, but because of timing. I get it. Yeah. I get it. That's a really, um, I I think that's a really consistent feeling of people feeling like they've missed their moment. I'm sure it is. But I have a feeling we'll feel it when we're 70. Like there's other moments that I'll feel like I missed. Yeah. 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 You know, that's true. Yeah. Um, but, but no, for the most part, um, it really, I really do feel though. I slowed myself down there. There were times where I, you know, I was told so many times, I'm, I'm, you're too dirty, you're dirty, you're dirty, right. you're dirty. And how did that dirty. sit with you? It's horribly. It's still a problem. It's, it's still in the back of my mind. Dirty, so dirty, dirty woman. Is if you gave your set to a guy. I know. And just like, like I like do like a tootsie. Oh, I know. Because your set isn't dirty. It's sassy for sure. Mm-hmm. And my mom, my little British mother would be like, woohoo. Uh, but I, I mean, it, it, it resonates. Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing that same jokes. And it's not like my big thing with dirty quote unquote or sex jokes. I don't like women who talk about sex where they're being demeaned. And there was, there was a, there was a long time where female comics, I feel like that was kind of the, and this is what I kind of mean by the pigeonhole. Like there were a lot of like, oh, I like dating because I'm hungry. Right. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's no level of that for you. I don't ever get that you no. are apologetic about or de- self-demeaning. No. About I'm talking about like I'm a, I'm a good person with good values talking about sex. So you that's know, your POV. Way. Like I would say yeah. like if that's anything and somebody goes, what kind of comic is Re- Rebecca Kohler? I would say that. But how did you find that POV? Like how did you find your voice? Uh, how did I find my voice? I think it was more a case of like, because how did I find it? I couldn't mute it. Like I, did you like start somewhere and be like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No. You just knew like you wanted to talk about I just started talking about, no, I didn't know any of those things. I just started talking. Like I never was like, this is where. Unfortunately, to be honest, I, I get irritated that so many of my jokes end up being about sex. Right. I don't necessarily want right. to constantly go there. Um, it almost feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy because for so many years, people are like, you're so dirty, you're so dirty, you're so right. dirty. You're like, and then I'll talk about blowjobs. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Um, but now I don't feel like... I feel like that you might be coming into a new, new I talk world about a bunch now. of stuff. Yeah. I mean... Um, and really, I think I use sex sometimes as a way to just talk about human interaction. Right. Because um, you know it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, because that's the thing. I think a lot of my sex jokes aren't about sex in a way. No, it definitely, if you examine them as a like philosopher, yeah. you'd be like, oh no, this is all about just like interaction between <laughs> yeah, two yeah, humans yeah, yeah. and... Wanting to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right. yeah. Uh, God, that'd be a great podcast just dissecting yes, jokes. And, it's true. Yeah. I'm sure it's out there. Subtext. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so I don't... 
It, it was, oh, it's just, whatever I say on stage is something that came to me that ended up. So you just go to stage and be like, I know I'm going to, a couple of like nuggets that I'm going to bring. Yeah. And then you just improvise. Kind of. And that's what's so hard also about being here and starting new yeah. because I don't have the privilege of, or the convenience of stages, like you said, where people already know me and I can try out some new jokes. Like last night I did a set and I snuck two new jokes into the middle of what I already knew was a relatively solid set. Um, They did okay. Um, But I don't have, I have no breathing room. And then how did you find that transition between like your stand-up into writer's rooms, like working moms at Schitt's Creek? And that like was, that's a whole other muscle. I actually have Albert Howell. Albert Howell. Honest to God, he's why I was at Second City. He's why Matt's at Second City. Amazing. But yeah, he saw me do stand-up somewhere and he was like, oh, you're very funny. You should write for 22 minutes. And basically he like got me the job. Wow. Like I submitted some kind of like bullshit package and they were like okay well obviously not bullshit package um i guess because it worked they don't usually take bullshit writers i don't think you i mean not sure if you know no i think it was like a combo of like but no (laughs) when i say bullshit it was these are packages are good but let's take that bullshit one no it was really short that it was like one essay and like some jokes so um so uh so uh, yeah so he got me the job at 22 minutes and then that was like an okay experience Mm. um and then I didn't work on anything for like almost a year. Mm-hmm. And then Gavin Crawford, who had left 22 Minutes, asked me to write on his show, uh, Gavin Crawford's Wild West. Yep. Which, were you in the pilot? No, okay. but I loved that pilot. You or saw it? The, uh, yeah, Jacob Cherney directed it. Was it amazing. It's one of the best things I've seen. I can't believe that it get picked oh, up. Don't even get me started. Don't get so we wrote six episodes. Pilot. Yeah. And they didn't take it. Um... But I remember just being shocked because I had not a great experience on 22 Minutes. And then so when Gavin was like, I want you to write for, for this, I was like, oh, you mean I was okay? Um, and then there a weird thing happened. Again, like there weren't that many women maybe writing comedy at the time. Mm-hmm. And my name started getting passed. Oh, Rebecca Kohler's a writer. And I was right. like, am I? Um, well, what was that like? Well, just kind of funny. And <laughs> I would have been so freaked out that people are like, oh, she's a good writer. And we're like, ah. I don't know what to do. How what? do I say a space bar? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also the weird thing is that when you're a writer, I don't know if you've ever had this. Like, People would also presume I was constantly working. Yeah. And I was like unemployed. Right. For like I think that goes months on end. With that saying in our industry. That if you have like a couple of... Like, just redo your headshots every couple of months. Yeah. Be like, oh, she's always working. I know, exactly. That's not, I'm so... Guys, hire either one of us. I know. Totally. Give me a job. Yeah. Um, okay, tell me... Just tell me, like, the arc between, like, this hour... Yeah. So this hour, then Gavin's Crawford's Wild Wilds. Then... Then I wrote a Scaredy Squirrel oh, yeah. cartoon. And then I think at that point, my... Acting agent Carly Baxter, great lady, was like, "You should maybe, maybe try to get a writing agent now." Um, then I met with a writing agent, Andrea Glenn, who has retired from the agency business, but she was excellent. Um, she kind of said to me, "Like, you don't have a pilot or a spec script, so there's nothing I can do for you until you have those." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay." Meanwhile, I guess she got. Um, 
request from the Ron James show for like a junior Mm -hmm. female writer. And then she was like, oh, I met with that woman, Rebecca Kohler. She's not my client, but... um, I love that. I know. So she put my name forward and then I got that job. And then... Again, just this like kind of like word of mouth, like, and then I worked on too much information, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I had these little bitty roles, and then I was trying to move to LA, and then anyway, Andrea. Eventually, they were like, and I wrote for Canadian Screen Awards, just for laughs, like little bits here and there, um, and then Andrea got me Kim's Convenience, so that was my first. Wow. And um, were you in the writer's room for, for the first Yeah, season? for the first season. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. Then Andrea got me Kim's Convenience. And that that was my first scripted comedy. Right. What was that room like? Oh, yeah. So the room was great. Kevin White yeah. was showrunner. Good people. Good people. Very nice people. Yeah. It was a, an, Anita Pilla, like who I you know from. I love Anita. I know. She's fantastic. I'm a big fan of that lady. Um, Aunt's Choi. Yeah. Uh, Gary Campbell was in there. Oh. The anyway. sweetest people. Oh, yeah. Really nice room. So... Oh, my God. Did they have, like, fights over who's going to make each other cupcakes today? Yeah, look, like, it wasn't that good. Okay, right. relax. <laughs> uh, my friend Sonia Bennett, who... Yes! Do you know her? Just um, on periphery. Of? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, and then and then I kind of hit this, like, oh, uh, Rebecca Kohler. Oh, and then I got Working Moms, and then I got Shits Creek, and then I got Working Moms again. And did you want all those things? Well, it was confusing because I was trying to move to L.A. the whole time. That's when I talked to you. I remember that. I yeah. I remember saying, like, are you going? I said, I think we're going. Yeah, yeah. I was mad at my agent because I was like, I told you I'm trying to move to Los Angeles. And she kept getting these jobs. And... Meanwhile, building your resume. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. thank God. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and also, I was able to save money. That really... like totally. Sure, I could have been here earlier, but I would have been... No experience. Like, it, if I hadn't written on those three shows consecutively like that, oh I God. wouldn't... I re- It really, like, embedded itself in me. Like, I want to be a writer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that must have been such an exciting time. So, maybe tell me a little bit about your... The way you get into a writer's room. Because each one has a different ki- chemistry and a different way of breaking stories. Like, mm-hmm. how do you settle in? Like, how do you find your place? Um, good question, as usual. <laughs> um... <laughs> I tend to be, you know, because um, I, when I tell people I'm an introvert, they're always like, oh, that's crazy. No, you're not. But I am. I think so many comedians are introverts. Oh, yeah, big time. So I'm actually quite quiet for the first few days of a writer's room. And then I start, you know, like a little puppy. I start saying one thing. Oh, okay. They laughed. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know. Um, dip your toe in Dip in my toe. Like. Dip in my toe. Um... And then you eventually, I, I eventually settle into yeah. to myself. But I'm very, and I feel like I get this from the performing arts high school I went to, where I learned a lot of the skills I, I still think are some of my best. Uh, like what? Attributes. Um, concentration in terms of like, fo- oh, sorry, let me, I'll rephrase, focus. Yeah. So, you know, you're in a writer's room or... Uh, any kind of like group setting with performers or creative types. And then, you know, a big part of the job is actually shooting the shit and, yeah. and exchanging stories because you get story ideas from those stories. But there's this kind of, there's five minutes of that. 
there's seven minutes of that. Yeah. It's steering it back, right? Like, yeah, and then when you're hitting the 12 minutes of that, you've got to you've got to start moving back to what brought you here, um, i.e., your job. Mm-hmm. And some people start a new story at 12 minutes. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. 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 It's time to. And so I'm very good at kind of knowing it's when to, to shut up. The yeah. stories now. Yeah. 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 I know when to shut up. Um, and I, I forget, what, what did you ask me? What? Oh yeah, my like how do you find so your focus? Place. Yeah. Um, uh, diplomacy, I think, is always like really. It's like, can you spend time with these people? Um, mm-hmm. Being generous and thoughtful, um, and knowing when to fight for. I, I I've seen a lot of people kind of commit suicide in writer, writing rooms where they keep pushing an idea of theirs. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, but if, you're, if your pitch dies, bury it. Yeah. Maybe you can dig it up in a day or two. You know, maybe not bury it. Maybe, like, put it in a on cold... Ice. On ice. Cold cellar, whatever it's um, But, yeah. Uh, anyway. Tell I think, me, like, a writer's room, like, quality that you love. Oh. Like, tell me about a story, like, in one of those writer's rooms that you're like, this is the quality there that I absolutely loved. Uh, I mean, really, for me, again, it, it, a lot of it comes back to laughter. Yeah. Just, um, and inside jokes. Yeah. Um, but specifically, I mean, uh, one thing, this is maybe not really answering your question, but it's something I do like in terms of something, stuff, something that happens in a writer's room. But one of my co-writers on Working Moms, my friend Karen, we developed, I think we're very, like, different, um, in terms of our backgrounds and our styles, um, and, and Karen became kind of a very, like, she had zero tolerance bullshit detector. Right. And so... I loved being able to like, especially if we were working one-on-one, I would like pitch something and then I would look at her and be like, does that jive with you or jive? Mm-hmm. I never know which one it is. <laughs> and she was, she, you know, she, we had a kind of thing and she'd be like, well, yes, except blah, blah, blah. And right. like, she could be honest. I respected her opinion and I knew that if it didn't sit with her, it was for a reason. Yeah. It and wasn't like her being vindictive no no she was just being yeah and she knew what she was talking about um and so i I really enjoyed having that kind of rapport with someone so having like somebody who can give you the truth without like slapping you in the face with it yeah and i think um this might sound weird but like really respecting someone enough that i needed her opinion Uh uh-huh um and again maybe that that makes sense yeah that comes from years of doing stand-up you need a sounding board yeah if it's not your audience telling you whether mm-hmm. something's funny or not, like you're in a writer's room, you need somebody that can tell you. Yeah. It's like when somebody is like, oh my God, that that movie was so funny. And then I'm like, oh, now I'm going to challenge where your sense of humor is. Because totally. if you thought that movie was funny, maybe we don't see eye to eye in comedy world as much as I Big thought. time. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. Okay. Just because we've been talking for six it's hours. Too long. Did you know? Oh, six. no. Um, it's been a while. It's absolutely like I don't want to stop talking because I have so many more things to talk to you about. But the re- the way I wrap it up is I talk about things that are inspiring you th- these days, like anything you're reading or web series or uh, podcasts or Netflix shows, anything that you're really jazzed about. 
inspiring me. I recently watched the show Search Party. Yes. And that uh, was very inspiring to me. And also Big Mouth. What did you like about those shows? Um, Big Mouth. Uh, if Are you familiar? Have you watched it? I don't it? know Big Mouth. I know Search oh. Party. Potty. Party. Such potty. Um, <laughs> Big Mouth is an animated series on Netflix uh, created by Nick Kroll and I think Jesse Klein. Okay. And it's about uh, tweens going through puberty. Okay. And puberty is actually um, yes, a character. I have seen this. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, again, it was just so honest and like, like they nailed puberty mm-hmm. um and it's so funny Interesting. and so it, it even made me feel less gross about things that happened to me 20 years ago right. or 25 years ago right <laughs> um so i think that's fantastic yeah um and just creative um so what do you what do you do to stay like jazzed and stay inspired so that you're writing or you're creating because you always have a pitch going on somewhere no no Never. i mean no like, what's the thing you wake up and do every day well, like, I'll have, like, I have an idea right now that I am working on. But yeah. I, to say that I always have a pitch, right. I mean, that's a lot. Take the pressure off, please. Um, <laughs> I certainly did not mean that. Uh, no, 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 I know. But, yeah, no, uh, I'm usually trying to work on something. Like, so, yeah. I'll like a joke. It. Or an essay or a script or, yeah, yeah. Because you do, you write, like, you're, you also do articles, too. Like, mm-hmm. like I haven't in a while, but, yeah, I did a lot in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your thing right now that you're working on? A pilot, and I'm actually taking a class at UCLA, yeah. uh, and I'm using the class to write the pilot. So, so anyway, and it's actually animated, which oh. um, uh, Big Mouth might have inspired me to. But also, my manager told me to write something very different from my current pilot. Right. And I was like, well... Because all your pilots are like, the period. And, yeah. And flow comes to visit. No, but they are actually like... <laughs> A woman in her late thirties. Right. Should she have kids? Well, oh, that's your life. Though, I know. Too, yeah. Right. Like, what are you gonna do? Write something about a drug addict gentleman that lives in the country? That's what other people do. They write other people's stuff. But anyway, but so it's I'm, not. That's harder, don't you think? That's so yeah. hard. But I guess that's the point. Yeah, but like, if if you, I know. If I'm good at what I'm, I know. But if you come to a place with this, what you're writing right now, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know what it is, you go, well, let me just check in with myself. Mm-hmm. But if I come to a point with like, oh, what would a drug addict that lived in the country, <laughs> which incidentally, that's how my mother described with Nail and I, a drug addict that lived in the, the country. The what? You know that movie with Nail and I? Oh my God, that's so funny. Anyway, that's how she described it. Um, so that's what you're doing. And any books that you're reading that you're really excited about? I have been trying to read... Um, I'm really bad at reading because I um, am self-employed, and so it's hard for me to relax. Um, so I'm when so I, on that same Yeah, page. when I try to yeah. read, I'm like, I should be working! But yeah. I'm, uh, I read uh, uh, In the Garden of Beasts by, um, it's the same guy who wrote Devil in the White City. We'll fact check it. Doesn't matter. Anyway, in the Garden of Beasts. And when you say you read, did you like auto audio listen? No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, in the Garden of Beasts, I fully read. <laughs> it's about the Nazis too. Like I don't read. Um, I read. I I watch true crime. Like the fact that I I watch Big Mouth and Search Party is like. I'm yeah. now. I like. I have to watch these shows because I need to know what's going on. Yeah. But if I had my way, I'd be watching like murder mysteries, reading watch. Uh, 
true crime all the way. Me the too. Nazis. Like, um, I have to stop talking okay, right. to you. Thank you so much for having microphone. me. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank, uh, thank you so you. much. Such, this has been a pleasure. Oh, firecrackers. Oh, my God. You're fantastic. Thank and, you. Uh, you too. Can't wait Thanks to for see. the snack. And that's Rebecca Kohler. I knew you'd love her. She's just so funny and so vibrant, and I can never spend enough time with her. I love it. Uh, go follow her in the Twitter world at Rebecca Kohler, uh, and that's underscore K O H L E R. If you're German, Karler or Karler. I can't get the accent. Uh, while you're over there, go to Firecracker, D-E-P-T, and follow us in the world of Instagram or Twitter. Hey, would you do me a favor? Go on over to iTunes and uh, subscribe. Maybe write a comment about one of the episodes that you heard. Tell me what you thought. I would love to hear your feedback. Speaking of feedback, always open to um, get emails or voicemails or whatever you want to send us to include in our uh, community. Firecrackerdept at gmail.com is our email address. Uh, thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. We got a whack of new subscribers and followers recently, and I really thank you a lot for that. It's great to have you part of the department. And I'll tell you, when it comes time to finding out who gets that office window for the department, I'm going to put your name forward. I'm going to put all your names forward. In fact, we're all going to get a corner office. That's how that works. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Naomi Sneakus. Go on out there. Be bold. Be brave. Get inspired and be inspiring. Have a great day. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Bye for now.